Would you like to exchange best practices and ideas to improve care, enhance operational efficiency, and address financial challenges with your peers? Becker's Healthcare is facilitating these conversations at their 8th Annual Health IT, Digital Health, and RCM meeting. You can check your eligibility for complimentary attendance at the link in the description. We are excited to welcome you in October. This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Jonathan Westall, who's Vice President of Ancillary Services at Martin Luther King Jr. Community Healthcare. Jonathan, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Now, I know we've got a lot to talk about. There's so many exciting things happening in healthcare right now, and certainly a lot you're doing there at Martin Luther King Jr. Community Healthcare. But before we dive into my questions, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background? Yeah. Um, so, uh, Jonathan Westall, I've been at Martin Luther King Jr. Community Hospital about, uh, excuse me, it's healthcare now. Um, we've expanded to more of a system model. Um, I've been there about six years. Uh, before that, I was at Huntington Hospital in Pasadena for a few years. I left there as the director of support services. Um, I've been in healthcare total almost 10 years. A um, little bit before that, I worked for uh, Sony PlayStation, did their safety and security stuff across the U.S., um, very different uh, different career path. Uh, and then I worked for um, different correctional institutions um, for almost 11 years, federal, state, county, across the U.S. Uh, definitely healthcare, much more pleasant working environment. Um, but uh, a lot of similarities, you know what I mean? A lot of uh, connecting with people. Just uh, I feel the, the work is a little more meaningful now with, uh, with healthcare than it was before. Martin Luther King is a great place. We're in South Los Angeles. We're a small hospital. We're only 131 beds. Um, so in the, the healthcare realm, that's uh, not a very big bed count. Um, but we do see uh, 110,000 patients for our emergency room. Uh, so we're extremely busy. Um, we're, we're always full. Uh, we're always holding. We're always uh, turning uh, alternative treatment spaces out where we can uh, see patients in, in non-traditional treatment areas. So it's a very uh, flexible uh, organization, which uh, is, a, is a win for me. It's a, a big uh, part of the joy of working here. Well, that's great to hear and amazing that you've been able to find that find that right space uh, to really grow your passion. And obviously, healthcare is, is such a meaningful area to be in for the community. So kind of given what you've been talking about, really being able to connect more um, and, and expand your capacity to help more people, what are some of the big opportunities that you have your eye on as well as the headwinds that you're following? Um, so I think uh, opportunities is is one more. Uh, I talked about non-traditional treatment spaces. I I don't want to speak for the whole country, but I think uh, in general the idea of brick and mortar, add more rooms, add more rooms, bigger hospitals, 800 bed facilities that we we don't see a lot of that anymore. Um, and one because it's wildly expensive. Um, two because it hasn't really, uh, to be frank, made a dent in the AV poor health outcomes of, of different populations. So uh, pouring more money into these physical brick-and-mortar structures, um, uh, th- it, hasn't, it hasn't worked, uh, to be frank. Uh, and then the difference in um, basically the, the healthcare consumer and, and their expectations of, uh, of healthcare. Um, people call it the Amazon model on-demand stuff, right? Like if we can go on our phone and there's some products if you live in a larger city you can have within hours, um, but everything is usually within 24 to 48 hours. So the concept that um, the the old model where we make a appointment with our primary care physician who has an opening in three days and I'm sick today and then I need to take a day off work 
and go see that primary care physician who then might refer me to a specialist um, or, or admit me to the hospital or, or different uh, avenues of treatment there. Um, this is a very laborious uh, process, heavy steps that, uh, that we don't see is across the, the marketplace in other industries or other, I mean, consumer goods, which at the end of the day, healthcare is a consumer good um, people are paying for. Um, so I think some of the headwinds that, that we all need to get behind, uh, myself, my organization, and, and others around, is is to kind of embrace that, the fact that, you know what I mean, telehealth and apps, like that's, I mean, that was a, a newfound thing during COVID, and now it has kind of stayed, you know what I mean? They were trying to keep people out of the hospital. Um, also, some stuff around um, health equity and, and um, social determinants of health that, you uh, you can be the best doctor, nurse, and best healthcare provider in the world, but if your patient goes home um, and neither has a drug problem or uh, other substance abuse problem or their uh, sedentary lifestyle with zero activity and they eat nothing but, you know what I mean, high-calorie fast foods, it doesn't matter the, the quality of medical care you provide, that, that person is going to come back to your hospital over and over again because of their lifestyle choices. Um, so I think uh, there's definitely uh, a massive change across the board needed there before that can bleed over into patient care. Absolutely. I think that's such a great point. And certainly looking at the ways, as you mentioned, being able to leverage the telehealth, virtual care apps um, certainly is an evolving space. And then too, for those um, community members who, you know, are, are, are needing extra healthcare and extra attention, um, how how do you really make sure that you're reaching them with the right message and something that resonates as well as making sure that, you know, they have access no matter what their situation is? So one, I think healthcare has got to be easy. We got to get away from uh, the fact that, you know, I mean, some parts, especially my population, they have to take two buses to get to the hospital and a day off work that they can't miss work. So it has to be urgent care ED model, maybe not so much ED inside of types of regular hospitals, but an urgent care model or like we're talking about apps. If I have a, let's say, strep throat or some very basic human uh, illness, right? We, amoxicillin is an antibiotic that's been around for years. It's a very, you can't overdose on it. You can't abuse it. It's a very cut and dry model of care. The fact that I have to go to my doctor to get that and go through six different steps, I, I mean, it, it makes it a... Uh, it makes it too labor intensive for, for some people to do. You know what I mean? If I had to do that same process to order new sheets on Amazon, I wouldn't do it. You know what I mean? I just deal with the sheets that I had for my bed now. So I think uh, we need to take some of those barriers out and it should be able to just, you know what I mean? Auto order or something like that. I mean, that's not appropriate for narcotics or a whole host of other uh, prescriptions, but I think there's putting them all in one big lump sum and saying, like, well, these are prescriptions, so you have to go through a doctor and you have to make an appointment, you have to do all these steps. I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all. Uh, so I think we need to remove some of that stuff. And then you look at, like I said, the social determinants of health and those, those areas. Um, it's a generational change. Unfortunately, it's not a quick fix, right? Like, it's like you take, like, smoking cigarettes, right? There, there were generations of Americans, I'm looking at America just in general, um, the, who who smoked and it wasn't a big deal. We're at the point now, though, that that is, that is changing. Uh, you know what I mean? My parents, it wasn't so cool towards the end of them. My generation, not so cool anymore. My kids' generation, it's abhorrent that someone would smoke cigarettes or pick that up. Um, so I think it's the same thing with healthy eating habits, uh, exercise, and stuff like that. It needs to be ingrained in, in earlier. So I think that's where healthcare 
has a has a duty to spread outside the walls of the hospital or the campus. Uh, you have to be in the schools. You have to talk to kids at an early age. You have to be able to uh, articulate to them why they need to make these changes, or the lifestyle changes that their parents have done that might not have been the best choices. That's such a great point and so fascinating to, to think about that uh, generational shifts and evolution and how people are thinking through some of the um, big health and wellness issues and, and certainly troubleshooting them on, on different levels. I, I'm wondering too, you know, obviously things are changing really quickly today. So how can you, um, in your particular role, add value and, and grow the organization overall? What does that look like for you and uh, the teams that you work with? I think for me, like specifically in my organization, is ensuring that we're always bringing new and effective technologies, right? Like there's there's new ways of doing things. Um, and like you, we're talking about like apps and stuff like that. But uh, we also have to remember, too, that the entire population is not going to make that shift. We still have to to maintain a model that caters to those those patients and that, and that patient population um, before we make that full switch right now. Like, my grandparents are, are still alive. My mom's parents, uh, they're in their late 80s and they're high utilizers of healthcare. Luckily, they're pretty healthy, but they have quite a few doctor's routine appointments. Switching them over to an app-based model is not a real thing, right? They're 88 years old. Like uh, picking up a cell phone is a, you know, I mean, a challenge at times, never mind the fact that they're going to download an app and go to a portal and book all that. So I think we need to remember that as we, we generationally shift to this uh, kind of new and improved technologies and inefficiencies, we have to make sure that some of our established customer base isn't alienated by that. Um, and I think sometimes in healthcare, there's kind of the, the shiny new penny, you know what I mean? That, oh, my, look at that app, that's going to do this. And then we jump on it and realize that only about 20% of my patient population is competent enough or even utilizes my healthcare system enough to make that app or that certain technology like appropriate. Um, you know, I mean, if, if someone goes to the doctor once every four years, like the t- concept they're going to download an app and create a portal is probably not a real thing. Uh, and then on the flip side of that, people go to the doctors four times a week, probably are ingrained in a healthcare system that you're not going to shift them to. Um, so I think that sometimes we take on these one size fits all approaches with things that, uh, human beings are different and and if you want them to utilize you as a as a service provider you need to make it easy for them absolutely i think that's such a great point and so interesting and helpful to think through um from the consumerism and patient as consumer standpoint as well as just making sure that you know you're doing the best you can by the community that you serve um, I'm wondering too, you know, right now is just there's a lot of um, challenges in healthcare and especially thinking through budgets, um, which are shrinking in many organizations as well as resources. So what is one risk or investment that's still worth making this year, even as you know, you may be tightening your belt in some ways? I think the physical structure, capital improvements, um, they're, they're often the first things to get cut, deferred maintenance and, and items like that. Um, it's, it's going back to the physical plant of your organization or the, um, the construction costs around things. Uh, you're right, our budgets are shrinking, everyone's budgets are shrinking. The, the nice-to-have products or the nice-to-have support staff are, are going away, um, and we're going towards a more lean model where I think everybody is. Uh, do we really need that? Can, we, can two people do, you know, can one person do two people's job? Um, I think we all are, but 
I think the biggest mistake organizations make is they defer maintenance on you know multi-million dollar pieces of equipment, hundred thousand dollar pieces of equipment, and uh, certain things don't get updated or uh, or fixed as they're supposed to because we'll just push it off a year, uh, and that always comes back to bite you. You always end up having to, uh, you know, what I mean, do do double the work two years from now um, because you deferred it, and it's the same on the software side of things too that. You know, a system is only as good as the updates and patches that get pushed through. Uh, and when, when folks don't buy that plan or don't move forward with that service plan or automatic update, you end up with a really cool system here from 2017 that's antiquated now in 2023. Yeah, that's such a great point. And certainly you don't want to be left behind as, um, you know, we move forward and, and then into a space where there's just going to be so much you know, uh, advancement in healthcare and in technology as well. Where do you see some of the best opportunities for growth in the future? I definitely think the best opportunities for growth are uh, the the short stay, uh, urgent care slash freestanding EDs, that kind of stuff. Um, having one central hospital that has all these networks outside of it or all these partnerships, um, I think it is definitely where. Uh, one, where you talk about growth is moving, and also, two, like the, the way to continue a system being viable. Um, where I'm at in California, uh, in Los Angeles, like the concept we're going to put up another hospital tower isn't real. The land alone would be $100 million you know, before we even start the building. Um, I know that's not the case across the country where land can be uh, easily acquired and, and such, but uh, I think that. Hospitals need to uh, that decentral or excuse me that centralized model where you have a, a central hospital there and then a decentralized network outside. Um, new patient populations, new service lines, uh, new areas for growth across the board. Absolutely, I love that. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been really a fun conversation, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Absolutely, I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks so much. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks. To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's Healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there.